Sometimes the only entrance into a story as tough as this one is through a character, and so I do so now delivering this in first person, and I hope that you know I do that with the greatest reverence for the scripture and the Jesus we find in it. Sometimes in life you have an experience that you know in your gut will have an enormous impact on you. I can say this with some confidence because I have had several such experiences in my long life. Both of my parents died from some very devastating disease that killed many in our community when I was a small child. This made me and my seven brothers and sisters orphans. If it hadn't been for the kindness of distant relatives who each took one or two of us, we wouldn't have survived. Adding one or two extra mouths to feed was truly loving kindness because those families already got by with meager portions of food each day. Everyone in the family had a little bit less in order to share with us. Much later, I married a good man and we had a simple but meaningful life together. Over a rustic meal of bread and olives, fruits if we had them, and a goblet of wine, we shared our hopes and dreams for the future. We found humor in the smallest things, and though we both toiled hard to provide the basics, we had a good life together. That is until the terrible accident that took his life and made me a widow before I was 20. While we had wanted to have children, it hadn't happened yet. So I suddenly found myself all alone. An orphan who had become a childless widow. If I'm being completely honest, in my loneliness and grief, I had begun to feel invisible, unknown, and altogether unimportant a stranger each and every place I went. But lately there's been a buzz about this great teacher named Jesus. Apparently when he was just 12 years old, his parents lost him in Jerusalem during the Passover. They were beside themselves searching for him. Three days later they returned to the temple they had visited before and found him sitting among the teachers and listening to their wisdom and asking questions. He grew up and lately has been witnessed performing miracles, healing people, feeding enormous crowds with very little, and praying to the Holy Spirit. I heard a lawyer tried to stump him on Jewish law and this Jesus turned it all on its head and used the opportunity to remind the lawyer and all those gathered 
about the greatest commandment to fully love our God while also fully loving our neighbors and ourselves. He even gave a surprising answer through a story when the lawyer probed him to define the word neighbor. Here's what's really interesting. People are saying he was born in a manger among animals. There's even a rumor flying around town that his mother Mary became pregnant before she was married. And the man who raised him isn't really his father. There is a lot that doesn't quite add up about this Jesus. And yet, when he went to his hometown of Nazareth and read those beautiful words from the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to, to let the oppressed go free. I'm told you could have heard a pin drop. Those gathered were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. That is, until they turned on him and dragged him out of town. And then earlier today, something amazing happened. I was heading to the field on the edge of town to glean a small portion of grain from myself, as custom dictates the poor are able to do. And I saw a crowd forming around what or whom I couldn't quite see. Because of my slight build and the cane I carry to steady myself on my old and tired feet, the crowd yielded to my entry, and I was able to squeeze in and find a spot very close to the man who was addressing those gathered. He told a story about a rich man who greedily stored up all of his possessions, but couldn't take them with him when he died. Then he spoke directly to 12 men gathered very close to him. But because of my position in the crowd and the direction the wind was blowing, I heard him tell them some profound advice about not worrying too much. He said something about how God even cared enough about the birds that surely God would care for them. He spoke some beautiful poetic words about lilies. I think it had something to do with having faith in God. Right around this time, I was realizing that the man speaking must be this Jesus of whom I'd heard so much over the past year or two. And I immediately understood why folks had been so drawn to him. He dressed simply, and his manner was some elusive combination of kind, confident, and transcendent. Just as I had heard, he held the entire crowd of thousands right in the palm of his hand. Now, it wasn't like some speakers I have heard 
where it feels clear that they are superbly convinced of their own celebrity and intelligence, as though they are doing others a favor by breathing the same air. And then there are other speakers who are so uncomfortable with the spotlight that they swallow their own words before speaking them out, even if everyone nearby would have appreciated hearing them. No, this was some magnetic combination that embodied both humility and a kind of calm yet profound love that invited everyone in the crowd to share it. Just as I was putting all of these things together in my mind, the man standing right next to me spoke up. He was clearly part of Jesus' entourage. The man asked a question of Jesus, and Jesus told a story about the duty of an owner's staff and how they should behave in his absence. I had a feeling he was telling us more than just a story. He finished that with the words, From those who have been entrusted, much, much more will be asked. And then Jesus' body language changed, and he became slightly agitated, saying, I've come to light a fire on the earth. How I wish the blaze was ignited already. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I'm here to bring peace on the earth? I tell you the opposite is true. I've come to bring division. These words were directed at the man who I later learned was a follower of his named Peter. But then Jesus turned to all of us in the crowd saying, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say that rain is coming, and so it does. When the wind blows from the south, you say it's going to be hot, and so it is. You hypocrites, if you can interpret the portents of earth and sky, why can't you interpret the present time? A hush fell over all of us gathered. Some left the crowd, and others began to whisper among themselves about this somewhat strange event. Because I was alone and had no one to share my thoughts with, and because as an elderly, poor woman, I'm somewhat invisible, I listened to the comments around me with great interest. Many were quite dismayed by the message Jesus had shared, perhaps even a bit angry. A wealthy merchant standing near me, who had also heard Jesus respond to Peter, seemed to think that things as they were were just fine. Why would Jesus be advocating for changes? Why on earth would he use the images of fire and water to describe what he had come to do? 
I chuckled quietly to myself, hoping not to attract any attention. Because I'll tell you the truth. I had felt seen when I heard those words from Jesus. The only people who don't want to burn structures down are the ones who are benefiting from them. I heard those words and immediately imagined what my community would look like if inadequate systems were destroyed, leaving the opportunity to create new ones in which poor people like me had seats at the table. Women like me with no control over their lives were seen as equal partners, or people like me with physical differences were considered. When Jesus spoke the words, light a fire, I could imagine all the barriers that would be destroyed, leaving room for a new creation for us all. Now those words about peace, those hit really close to home, I'm afraid. Even though I see so many inequities around me, even though I myself am part of them, I sometimes choose peace too easily because it seems less painful than living in the midst of division. I'm afraid that I might settle for a cheap kind of peace because it means I don't have to work towards justice. I can look around me and see what Jesus means because our community has settled for a generic kind of peace that asks little of us and looks good on the surface, but doesn't do much to stand up for the rights of those who do not benefit from it. I wonder if when Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, he meant he didn't come to bring peace in the way that we so often mean. That is, an absence of overt conflict. I trust by his actions that while he doesn't stand for our weak ideas about what peace could mean, he certainly seems to embody the greater, broader Hebrew understanding of peace. That is a deep, abiding wholeness among all. So when Jesus said he came to light fire on earth, my heart soared because I thought he meant a purification, a brilliant light in dark times, a source of warmth in what often feels like a cold, disinterested world. I gave thanks because I imagined this Jesus bringing a light and heat that we so badly need here. I think the man standing next to me imagined destruction of all he held dear and I imagined the clearing of a path for new life. Jesus had just called us out on the spiritual crisis in our midst that we were seemingly unwilling to engage. We had created various different structures in our community to keep from seeing the truth. His words stung because, of course, they were true. The livelihood of the majority of people standing there was dependent on the status of the crops in their fields. 
And the only way to ensure a healthy harvest is understanding the weather enough to take steps to work with it or find measures to protect it. Most of the people in the crowd were adept at paying attention to rain and heat and acting accordingly. But how well could we see the spiritual state of our community? When was the last time those with power had considered if there was alignment between their religious practices and daily living? How many people in the crowd were following the law to the letter but were failing to do justice. I found myself thinking of the prophet Isaiah, criticizing the Israelites of hands covered in blood because their worship ended at the temple and did not continue into the community. Later, Isaiah talked about the Lord's vineyard, a lovely place of life, that the people could not or would not keep growing in beauty. The prophet talked about how the people were moving towards exile through their actions that praised God with their lips, but lacked righteous acts of justice towards the oppressed. All I could think about was how tenderly the landowners care for their fields and how terribly some of them treat their workers, their families, and worse yet, the most vulnerable in our village. The people in the crowd didn't like to hear these honest words of Jesus because they knew that they were implicated. We don't tend to put up our walls of defense unless we feel vulnerable to attack. Perhaps there won't be any record of my name or even my participation in the crowd today. But that's okay. Because I know what Jesus said. And I now know with certainty that the structures in my village that keep me out are built by my fellow townspeople, not God. And I know that with every tiny scrap of power I can lay my hands on, I will use it not to tower over others on the margins, but to raise the structure on which all of us dwell. I am not simply an orphan, a widow, or a stranger anymore. I felt the righteousness and justice coming off of Jesus in waves. And I know that I am God's beloved, as are we all. Amen.